Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I've always wanted to find a real life fire movement person. Fire, of course, stands for financial independence, retire early. But I wanted to find one of these people who's in the the heart of that journey, not just, hey, I'm starting the fire movement or I'm 45 and I'm what the fire movement calls fired because I'm already retired at 45. Well, we found that person, our guest today, Katie Elker, who is a fire advocate that's five plus years into that journey and making real progress. Her own money story is dramatic. She grew up with a successful, high-earning dad, but he had a massive gambling addiction that helped inform her own money movement and money journey. Plus, there's a lot more to fire than just fire. There's all sorts of varieties, coast fire and barista fire and fat fire. We'll learn all about it with Katie today. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Katie Elker, maybe our youngest guest ever on Retire Sooner podcast. So you and Katie Elker is probably our first guest that is square in the fire. Would it be fair to say square in the fire movement? Or are you because you're only what? How old are you? 35. So you're young and you've got how many kids? Two. Two kids. Yeah. So let's I'm gonna go right into fire. So fire is, for our listeners, let's define what fire is. Okay. What's that acronym mean? Yeah. So fire stands for financial independence, retire early. And I thought it was like a relatively new term when I came across it, but it's actually been around for a while. And there's lots of people, you know, in our, in the circle of personal finance that are fired, they say, which means they have retired early. Um, And essentially, you know, they retired early, but they have enough funds in retirement or enough real estate typically is the other way mm-hmm. where they have passive income to cover all of their bills and they you know they don't have to work anymore for in the traditional sense right so if I, so the fire move financial independence retire early and if you're fired you're like you are kind of done working in in a lot of the sense of the word are you so you're not fired though I'm not fired or, no, are you no, on the fire track because you're still young yeah. you're still in we, your 30s, yes, for God's yes, sakes. Yes, I know, I know. Yeah, we are, the. our goal is something called barista fire, what, which is, well, I, I think, also new. There's I, a lot of different fires. So there's like coast fire and fat fire. Whoa, barista. you got to tell me, okay, coast fire, barista fire. Yeah. I think I might know what that means. Okay. And what else? What else? Fat fire is another one. 
fat is in fat people or, or <laughs> Pete? <laughs> no, fat smelled like fat. Yeah, fat. F-A-T. F-A-T. Yep. Fat fired. Yeah. Okay. There's probably some other ones, but those are those are three that I've never even heard of. Check off another podcast where I learned something I have no idea about. So let's start with Coast. Yeah. What is a no? Let's start with Barista because that one I think makes sense. A Barista Fire is what? Barista Fire is where you have saved enough to the point where you can, you know, cover or I should say invest enough, but you've invested enough where you are able to take out a certain percentage and you can cover most of your bills, but maybe you're still going to work part time. So that's where the barista like, you know, get a fun, fun job, barista job. Is that fun? It seems like a brutal job. I actually worked as a barista and it it was pretty fun, but I was like in my early 20s, I had lots more energy then. So maybe that's why it was fun. But yeah, we've got caffeine all day. Do you like drink caffeine all day as a barista or you don't really need to? I mean, I feel like you don't really need to. Because you're, you're like hopping around. all over. Yeah, it's funny because we think of it. That is a relaxing place for us. We're like, oh, it's so nice to be in a coffee shop for a little while. Yeah. But when you're working there, is it is it actually fun? Or it just seems like you're constantly, it's like very fast paced. Like yeah. there's no break. Yeah, it's pretty fast paced. I would like, I think it's fun if your coworkers are fun, right? And you've, you know, like I thought it was fun to make different coffee drinks and serve customers. But again, like that was 15 years ago. Okay. So... So, yeah, okay, so, so barista, barista that's like, I just need a little bit of a job in order to make a little bit of money and maybe get benefits too. Yep. And potentially get benefits. Okay. Um, and then also, you know, if you're working at part time, that might give you some other like opportunities to travel or to like do experiences that you wouldn't be able to do if you just fired. So mm-hmm. it kind of gives you a little bit more leeway. And a lot of people in the fire world are barista fire because they end up starting like a personal finance business. Like they, you know, start talking about. Mm-hmm. fire movement and how they fired and then that turns into a blog or a podcast and or, that's their you know, barista and then that's their income stream and it whether or not you know they might have fired not thinking that they were going to do that so mm-hmm. i just talked to somebody today i was like oh yeah i fired but then i realized like it's kind of boring <laughs> so <laughs> wait what is boring what's boring <laughs> like being retired at an early age like oh. this gentleman was probably you know maybe 40 years old and he was like so i started this business like blog that's turned into now, you know, we got a YouTube channel, all these things. And that's like my, that's my thing that I focus on. And it, and it gives me income, you know, to do more. How more. many do you know? So do you know people, you know, a lot of the five, you know, a lot of people within the movement. Yep. All right. How many people did get bored? I think the like majority straight of people up. do. But I think they, like they realize that, you know, the time independence that they have was 100% worth it to uh-huh. fire and not having to stress about, you know, making ends meet and paying for bills and or even just, re- you know, investing anymore. But I think then when you, you know, once you get down to the day in and day out of not having something to focus on, not having like either a passion project or a side hustle or a part-time job, then they're like, ooh, like I feel like something is maybe missing. missing. So m- most of all the people I know that are in their like, 30, 40, 50s have done something part-time-ish. Unless they're like traveling the world and that's like what they do. But then they still are usually like blogging about it or something. So uh, so that's the fire. So give me a pro. I want to get to coast fire and fat fire, yeah. which I really don't know what these are. What would be, what would give me the profile, the, t- the prototypical, not the non-outlier. So like the fire, sure. You, the, you went to Facebook and... You know, and you you had, you made fifteen million dollars on Facebook stock, and you were twenty eight, and yeah, you're done. You're, yeah. you're, give me the prototypical 
Median. Give me the median person that's fi- that's that's actually been able to do the true fired. I would say the median. What do they look like? And how much money do they have? That's the real question. Yeah. So I think younger people that are fired are typically dinks. Do you know what that acronym is? Double income, no kids? Yep. Uh Yep. So I I see that a lot. So double income, no kids. They're able to, you know, sock away one person's income right away. Like, you know, there's um, someone I know who is, I would say like in her 30s or maybe even younger than 30. Mm -hmm. And she has a great job. Her husband has a great job. And they knew about fire early. So they got out of college, started making, you know, six figures each. And they were like, we're going to put away one salary the whole uh, entire for every year. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, when you're investing a hundred and some thousand dollars every year, it can add up pretty quickly. So, yeah. so that is an example, like, you know, but they also knew about the movement earlier. Mm-hmm. I would say like typical though, you know, people that end up retiring early are, you know, most people are like in their forties, fifties mm-hmm. and they may have children that are, you know, maybe one child, maybe two, like they typically don't have like ton of children although i do know somebody who has like five kids and is fired um but so it's like you know maybe less kids more income Mm -hmm. and they've learned about the fire movement relatively early Mm -hmm. or they learned about it and they're like like saving you know just in just all of a sudden they're like okay we're gonna like downsize our home and throw all our money into investments Mm -hmm. and see how quickly we can get there and they do they usually have around a million or usually more than that do you think i i think more than that typically but they're, the thing about the fire movement is that, well, and we'll talk about fat fire in a minute, but most people that fire are really frugal. So they stay frugal. They stay frugal. So yeah. they're like, I can only live, you know, there's the whole like 4% rule, rule that people talk yeah. about. So they're like, I'm going to take, you know, 4% out and that's it. And then there's a lot of debate like, is 4% too much or, you know, should it be less if you're going to fire early and then how long will your money last kind of mm-hmm. thing. So most people are used to living off small amount and that requires, you know, not having any debt mm-hmm. and having a certain lifestyle that, you know, they can maintain over a long, long period of time. Okay. Yeah. So let's go to coast fire because that seems antithetical to fire because coast is always expensive in my, it might as well be like another way of saying expensive. We were, you know, the way the coast has worked, it's like it used to be able to get a real, get on the water for, for a million and a half, two million dollars. And then it was like four million. <laughs> and then it was seven. It started to slowly go to the, I'm thinking like the, the Gulf and, and uh, um, call it the Rosemary Beach, Destin area, seaside. Yep. And then it was, and then COVID hit and it went from almost totally out of reach to like 15, 20 million to get on the coast. Yeah. So to me, coast is like, that's yeah. super expensive. So what yeah. could coast fire possibly mean? <laughs> yeah. they, oh, here it is. Let me guess. They had a house on the coast <laughs> and they bought it for $2 million and they sold it for ten, and then they could fire early. You know, that's a good guess, but actually it has nothing to do about the coast. <laughs> about okay. the coast in a location sense, but I love that. Term. All right, what's coast fire? Yeah, so coast fire is when you have saved, invested a certain amount of money and you've realized that it's going to grow to the amount that you need by the time that you want to retire. So let's you might not want to retire yet, but you've got enough money invested that you're like, I don't need to invest any more money. I'm just gonna let it coast, you know, ride oh, the market. It's gonna, as in roll. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So it's gonna, you know, compound interest and it's gonna just continue to grow. And then when we wanna retire, we'll be set and we won't have to, you know, from now till then, we won't have to invest any more money. Okay. That sounds a little bit like our re- retirement gray zone that we talk about. So I, it, that's a similar, I, I see that as, 
in let's say you know in let's say a more traditional sense somebody who might be 55 or late 50s which is still a little early in, yeah. in the traditional sense and they don't they have saved as much as they need they don't need to they don't need to save anymore they take on a little bit of a barista style and co so i think our retirement yeah. gray zone is a is a slightly older version of coast plus barista fire so it's a very simple way to think about it yeah. <laughs> the um all right so what is what is fat fire well let me guess on this one too <laughs> um fat fire would be and it's f with not a ph it's f yep fat fire um hmm fat fire i would think that and you would think i would know this because i've been in the financial <laughs> industry for 25 years I would think fat fire would be maybe I had one big investment that did really well. And I, and I'm low, like, again, maybe like a technology person with like, maybe a, a slightly smaller version than Peter Thiel's Roth. Are you familiar with that? Peter Thiel, he's the, he was a, one of the original uh, investors in PayPal uh, and he okay. put two grand in his Roth Yep. IRA and it grew to five yep. billion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Peter Thiel, like that was like that's a big that's fat, a fat investment yeah. and he could retire early. Yeah, yeah. That was that's my best guess on the spot. That's actually a pretty good guess. So fat fire is like the opposite of most people that fire where you know, most people that fire are being very frugal and they are gonna have to continue to be frugal, whereas fat fire is like they might not spend as much money now, but when they get to retirement, they wanna like be able to spend like frivolously so they hmm. they might like have a very luxurious lifestyle now and they want to keep that in retirement so they are just like banking money a lot of people that do fat fire are big into real estate mm -hmm. so they've got you know they know they'll have a lot of cash flow or they'll have appreciation you know they'll be able to sell out and things so yeah so that's fat fire you're you're close so it's a non-frugal fat fire i'm sorry it's a non-frugal fire yep. non-frugal like I think of like fat stacks of cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like remember like it's got funny. a lot of I, money and you're going to, you want to continue to have a lot of money to like live off of in retirement. It's, I feel like we're coming up with a fire <laughs> menu. So we're in Austin. <laughs> As you're listening to the Retire Suitor podcast, you're hearing all these Austin references because at FinCon, all the best financial writers and most interesting people like Katie Elker are, are here and we get to do lots of interviews in a, in a short period of time. And I'm thinking of like one of these Austin food trucks that I went to this, it's literally a Mexican hamburger food truck, which I've never heard, even heard of, but it was awesome. And I'm thinking like, we're building our own menu of all, we're going, coming to the fire, but we could do, would you, what would you like today? Coast fire, barista fire, fat fire, regular fire, just give me the traditional <laughs> fire. Uh, so we started to Joe Salcihai from Stacking Benjamins, and we were saying that fire is, this, is, a, is a relatively new movement, which you mentioned, like they knew about mm -hmm. fire, early joe was just saying look the fire's been around forever it just got an acronym like 10 years ago so it now became a movement which is somewhat true it's kind of like it, it, it i think it gained momentum the easier it is for people to communicate something it does spread faster so yes everyone's wanted to retire early for the, the since the beginning of time but fire kind of gave a name to it and i think maybe educated more people around it and did create kind of a movement at Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible 
because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When did you start thinking about fire? I would say I probably learned about fire maybe five years ago mm-hmm. or so. And, you know, actually it was, yeah, it was probably, yeah, between four and five years ago. So, so like we, late like, 20s, early 30s, yeah, early you 30s, said. I would say, yeah. And so I learned about fire. I was working as a financial advisor at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had stumbled across probably a blog post or something along those lines. And it was talking about fire. And I was like, wow, this is a really interesting concept. Like, Very let me cool dig concept. it. Let yeah. me go down the rabbit hole of the fire movement. Mm-hmm. And at that time, my husband and I, we were living in a small home, a suburb outside of, uh, twin, in the Twin Cities area. Milwaukee. In, not Minnesota. Or Wisco- I'm sorry. Minnesota, yep. Yeah. So we were living outside of, you know, in a small, we were like, oh, like, we don't have a very large mortgage. And a lot of people in the fire movement, you know, pay, they pay off all their debt so that they have, you know, less things to pay for in retirement mm-hmm. when they retire early. So we were like, we could pay. I was like, oh, like, you know, talking about people paying off their mortgages, having no debt. I'm like, oh, yeah, we could do this. Like, we could pay off our mortgage and we could, you know, we're all, we're done with our, everything else. Or like, we'll pay off all our other debt. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I think I had a few student loans left at that point. And so... I was like really motivated. And then we had our second kid and I was like, oh, I don't know if we're going to stay in this house. Like we mm-hmm. were, we got a big dog and all of a sudden it was, you know, starting to feel a little more crap. So I actually started, I started writing about the fire movement at the time, um, particularly at that, at that time I was writing about it for Business Insider. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was like, you know, this is our fire, like this is kind of our plan and this is what we'd like to do. Like we'd like to be, and my, my initial term was debt-free by 40, including our mortgage. So that mm-hmm. was, I was like, we're going to be debt-free by 40. My husband's a few years older than me. So I'm like, I don't know who is 40, your 40 or my 40, but one of us, you know, will be debt mortgage-free included, like included. So, so that was like the tagline I, I used and when I was talking about it. And then, you know, we were like, oh yeah, we're going to buy a new house. And we bought the new house. We decided actually it was a few years ago and the market is still crazy, but the market mm-hmm. was crazy. And so we had saved enough. to Crazy starting to go higher. Crazy, just like, you know, multiple offers. And again, and what city? You're, what we're c- outside of Minneapolis. At, right so outside of Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. And yep. real estate's just as going crazy there it's, as it is everywhere yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, yep. So we decided, you know, we're going to save up some money for a down payment on the next home. And then we'll figure out, you know, then maybe we'll recast our mortgage. You know, if we sell the, the other home, we, if it takes us a while, which it didn't. But if, it, if we sell that, then maybe we'll put the money back into our, you know, our new mortgage. And so mm-hmm. we'll have a, you know, we'll still work towards paying off that mortgage. Well, our, like tune, my tune has kind of changed now as I've gotten more, you know, into the personal finance and the fire world. And from like a, you know, an interest rate perspective and a tax write-off perspective, like, there's some benefits to having a mortgage when, you know, the market is maybe returning a lot higher. Mm-hmm. So we actually, so yeah, so we bought, you know, bought the new house, sold the old house, banked a bunch of the money, trying to figure out what to do. That was right before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, COVID hit and I was like, ugh, like, <laughs> you know, like everybody else. Like, okay, so now my husband works in the sports industry. Oh. Everything stopped. We're like, well, we better just save this money on top of the other money we have saved just mm-hmm. in case like you completely lose your job and yeah. you know, we're, we were all think, work. yeah yeah i think a everybody scary was time. yeah exactly yeah. so so we did that so then um 
you know, like fast forward to now, we, you know, we were taught, we're still talking about we, the fire movement. Hold on. Did you, what did you do? Did you buy another place or no? no? So, well, yeah. So we, we moved, we bought a new place. Oh, and we, then COVID We sold hit. our old house. And then COVID And that hit. was like right before COVID. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a few months. So we were like, we're going to recast, you know, we're going to put this money towards the mortgage and still work on our debt free by 40 plan. Yeah. And then COVID hit and we're like, you know, that messed it all up. But so the money, you know, we kept it in just a saving account just to have liquid, yada, yada. And now, you know, now we're like, oh, there's there's other things like we could do with that. So actually, we're we're in the process right now of buying a rental because now we decided we'd like that to be part of our long term overall plan. diversified ways you're gonna have income in the future, which yep. is yep. Such, it's smart to be able to do that. Hard yeah. to find a good property, but yes, if you put some in work into it, yeah. <laughs> have you done? Have you have you found it yet? No, we have not. No, we've yep. got we're you know I've got all our finances in line and the pre approvals, and we're just like looking right now yeah. and and we're you know we're torn we're new to real estate so like we talked about renting our our first home and then mm-hmm. and then we were like ah, i don't know we just don't want to have to deal with the hassle that at that time but now we're like oh that you know that could have been a that maybe would have been a good opportunity but too mm-hmm. late that ship has sailed so mm-hmm. on to the next so yeah so we're yeah so we're looking but we're we're really like Torn, you know, we like the idea now that my husband is also remotely working for the most part mm-hmm. and he travels. What kind of sports is he? What kind of he, industry? Yeah, he, like, um, uh, like I should know more about his job, but yeah. He's in the sports. <laughs> He's in the sports. Sounds like Mallory, no, a producer. No. <laughs> she was like, we were here in Austin and the guys wanted to go to the, I wasn't here, but she was like, the, we, we were going into a bar that had a supposedly some sort of good basketball game. <laughs> She was like, it, it was about the sports. <laughs> so, no, I, and I, yeah. Is he in like, like a, does he work he, for a team or like a stadium and selling? He works for like a, a tech, like a sports tech company. Oh, that cool. Sells okay. to like teams and like governing bodies. Okay, like, cool. you know, like, okay. He's within like the, the, the sports industry. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so how has that so, changed then? So you're still in your own version of fire and you guys yep. could still see being by maybe 45 is still super young, like 10 Absolutely. years from now, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you're still going to be young. Yep. And you, is that the goal to be then financially independent by 45? Yeah. I think like my like absolute latest goal is like, I've got like 50 as like, mm-hmm. like we're like hopefully done. Like we're done, done. Like we, you know, maybe Bruce, we're, you know, we're still doing a business or something part time or consulting or whatever and you, it may be. But now in your mind, about how much capital do you think you guys would need over now? Granted, you've got, if you have real estate, that's it's different. But yeah. So then just liquid cash in the market savings. Yeah. So I would say, you know, we haven't, we haven't really done the math with the real estate piece because mm-hmm. it's a relatively new. New thing for you guys, been, yeah. Yeah, just like thinking about. So our like our first goal is to get to like a million. So mm-hmm. like a million invested. That's our like we, we get to a million and then and then we need to try to figure out like, you know, how much do we want to work mm-hmm. and how much more extra money might real estate generate. You know, I think if you were to run a realistic, like, you know, if you were to say you know, how much money do you need in retirement? I think mm-hmm. the calculator would probably say like 2.5 million or something mm-hmm. like that. For you guys. For us, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we're, yeah, trying to figure that out. But, I, you know, we're- This is cool to be able to talk to somebody kind of in the mid, you're not starting fire and you're not finished fire. You're kind of yeah. in the middle of the fire journey, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, it feels like the beginning. But yeah, I mean, I feel like yeah, in the yeah, last you, few years- But you've though, really- we've made, some, we've made some good progress, so- the lo- I love the thought of these all these different uh, varieties of fire and even you you're kind of a mix between a lot of these. Yeah. Let's go to I didn't plan on talking about any of this. Uh, so it. let me go to my questions. 
So I want to go through the habits that we learned from our parents early. Uh, so when you're a kid, wh- what were the money habits you learned from your parents? Were they good with money or were they terrible with money? Yeah. Yeah. So my family was interesting because my my dad was an accountant mm-hmm. and my mom worked as a seamstress and she was a stay-at-home mom for my two younger brothers um, for a good part of you know her life. And... Uh, we, you know, grew up in what I would probably consider an upper middle class family, mm-hmm. but my dad had a big gambling problem. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So that was like super Did you guys interesting. Know? Yeah. Because <laughs> our parents always argued about it. Whoa. Um, so new, like maybe like older, like I was probably middle school when I caught wind of like what was going on, but high school and then like after high school, I was like. So it lasted a long time. It lasted like, yeah, a long time. Yeah. And so it was interesting because, yeah, we, you know, my family, we made a lot of money. We took nice vacations. We played, you know, traveling sports. We had a nice home. But then there was like that other side of it where people didn't know, you know, like addictions are typically under the radar. And not very many people knew that, you know, my my dad was an executive at a local, like a, well, at Target. Target Mm -hmm. is a local company. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people there like kind of had an inkling, I think, or we're starting, some people are starting to catch on. But yeah, I mean, he could go to the casino and drop 10, 20 grand in a day or two. And so that was a, as you can imagine, a big friction point um, between my parents growing up. And was he, with a a gambling addiction, was he always, he was just waiting for it to to hit big to do, he wanted it to hit big, right? Or is it more of just like liking to gamble? I think it's, you know, because there's times where he would be up like, 10 ish grand, but mm-hmm. he just he couldn't he couldn't stop. Like he had to lose it all. To like, stop. I don't know if he ever really walked away from himself. Or maybe he would, but then he'd go back like the next week. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Like, they're like gone. So yeah, so that was really interesting for me to watch growing up. And my parents otherwise, like my dad was a really big giver, like charitable charitable giver. He he saved her retirement very aggressively. And um, but he took out like a hundred thousand dollars out of his 401k like four different times to pay up to pay up gambling wow. debt. Okay. And so, and when I say gambling, it's not like he owed people like he wasn't you know he wasn't like, like getting, he was, getting his kneecaps yeah, yeah, broken, yeah. but he would go to a but casino would, and lose it. Yeah, yeah. 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 He would get cash advances on his credit cards, and Ooh. that's like a lot of times how he funded you know his, brutal. Yeah. yeah, brutal. Yeah, brutal's right. So, so that was yeah, it was interesting. So my mom grew up like in a relatively low income household in the twin you know, in the actual like proper, in the city proper. And she like just never had a lot of money. And she works at seems she's like amazing at what she does. She has a lot of like high profile clients and makes great money. But she was the one who was kind of teaching me, like she wrote out the bills and she was the one who would like, you know, had me get my first credit card at 16 and put gas on it once a month and pay it off mm-hmm. and start building a credit score. And my dad was really good at the investing side. Like, you need to start a Roth IRA as soon as you, you know, my I started as soon as I graduated college when I had my own, like, money to start. I wish I would have started earlier, but, you know, that was early enough. So it was interesting because they both were, like, reasonably financially savvy or good with money. Where they knew how like, to make money. You know how to make money. Yeah, uh-huh. especially my dad. But then there was, like, that other piece that just destroyed. Destroyed it. That's... Yeah, destroyed it. So. What uh, the, and then you became a financial advisor. I did eventually, yes. I had done a lot of different things, but yeah. So I actually. How long did you do that, and why? And did you like it? And then why did you stop doing that? And then tell me that. What was your first job, finance job? Well, so my first finance job was in auditing at Wells Fargo, downtown Minneapolis, and it was 
pretty boring. Yeah, kind <laughs> I'm not of not much of a like sit exciting. behind a screen and yeah. you know. So and not talk to people. That was yeah. So I did that and I was like, oh, I definitely don't want to do it. And I thought about I was an econ major in college and I thought about teaching at some point. And mm -hmm. I like I played college soccer and I was like, oh, I could teach and coach. And that, mm -hmm. I did end up doing that. So I went back to school, graduate school, got my teaching license, taught business classes for five years at the high school level. Where was you, where did you play soccer? Um, UW Eau Claire and Hamlin University. So just smaller schools up in the in the Minnesota and Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, so shorts and there, but I, you know, I was really into soccer and I'd coached youth soccer in college and after college. And yeah, so anyway, so I was like, then at five years there, it was great. I liked it. I liked working with kids, but like nothing's had changed. There was enough politics. I was like, I, I thought about financial advising after college, but never did it. And I was like, so this you, is the time. We don't have kids yet. Like now's the time. I'm going to yeah. try. I'm going to try. So you it. went from coaching. Yeah. Well, to, yeah coaching and teaching. Teaching yep. to being a financial advisor. Yeah. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Then you transition to financial coaching yep. and then really writing. So writing, yeah, you write for a ton of different outlets, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I tell people like I, I did writing. I was always interested in writing growing up, like loved English, excelled in that, wrote for fun, wrote after college. But then I took a long break. Like I was in the mm -hmm. finance or the teaching world, the finance world, and I just kind of fell back into it. Like, and Business Insider was one of the first people I started writing for because I was sharing our fire journey. And then I was mm -hmm. brought on as a writer. And then I started, you know, just writing more. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, it's been quite the journey, but a fun one. And what, what's the on. financial coaching part of it like? And then yeah. maybe we also pair that with what drives, let's say, poor financial habits of people that are locked into them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are you, and is that a big, is that, is that a piece of, doing financial coaching, helping people break those habits? Or do you do you typically see people once they've figured out to have better habits and they're smart enough to say, hey, I need some help and I need a coach? Yeah. Yeah, so I actually started financial coaching because of my experience as a financial advisor. So mm -hmm. I'd meet with people and we'd talk about their, you know, their finances and their financial plan. And we'd talk about investments and insurance needs. And, and then I realized like they, you know, people would come to me for like debt payoff plans. And at the time I wasn't charging a fee to work with clients. That wasn't the model that of the broker dealer that I was with. It was and, really more about assets or products. Broker products. Deal, it was all about products. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 absolutely. So I was like, you know, helping these people, but not getting paid, which fine. You know, I like didn't mind doing, but like the more I did it, the more I realized like people have some really like basic what I would consider basic, but not basic for everybody, but like financial needs that are not being met. Mm -hmm. And and then it's like you tell people, you know, create a budget and just stick to the budget. And here's how much you'll be able to put towards investments or, you know, or save an emergency fund or whatever else you might want to be doing. But it's not as black and white as you know. And I know like finances aren't that are not black and white. If you have mm -hmm. something like a shopping addiction or, you know, a gambling addiction on the extreme case, or if you have just like other blocks, things that are going on that are not allowing you overly to Overly aggressive money. investor, overly conservative investor. There's all those emotions yeah. tied to how yeah. you're going to invest money. Yep. 
does this play into you talk about i know in in some of your writing you talk about something called a money story what tell us about what that concept is a money story yeah or is it a money story what is it i think yeah money story yeah (laughs) um so money story is like the story like the way you think about and behave with money Mm -hmm. that is influenced by your your mainly your upbringing so like mm-hmm. how and and just like your past and how your parents viewed and used money and maybe you know other people influential adults that were around you like aunts and uncles or grandparents or people that you saw that like and and things that you were taught about money um like from a young age and most kids don't get like formal financial education in school it's not a requirement as i not wish, at all as i wish it was it's not at all no it should yeah. be um but yeah, so the money story is like, you know, how all that shapes the way you use money. And or think about money. And think about money. Yep. And it can be, you know, you could have a you could have a positive money story. You had great role models and you have a really healthy, you know, sense about how to use money and make it work for you. Or you could have a very like, you know, negative money story where it's like there's never enough money and I'm terrible at money. And it's like the internal dialogue that yeah. you tell yourself about money. Is what I consider to be like your money story. Or and do you bring that? Do you try to nail that down when you when you do your coaching? Yeah, that's a big part of it. Just trying to figure out, you know, because when people it's come to me, idea to think about, like, to have somebody try to define their money story. Like, what is the what is that? So it's always your, your yeah. it's like your personality your personality profile when it comes to money. Yeah, yeah, and cool. I think it, you know. People don't realize it. They don't realize they, what they're like, what a money story is, or if they even have one. But then when you start diving into it, it's like, oh, well, then that makes sense. Why I always, you know, when I get paid, I need to go out and spend all the money right away, or uh-huh. why I can't seem to spend a dime. Like the, you know, the opposite problem. I'm super frugal and I can't seem to spend any money, even though it's stuff I want to spend money on, because maybe my parents told me, you know, like, you know, that's how they were. That's what they did, and so. It's funny, I think that I maybe did a version of that with the new book that I have coming out called uh, What the Happiest Retirees Know. I've always studied this relationship between money and happiness. Mm -hmm. And I've literally done empirical research on the money, financial lifestyle, social, marital habits, and how they tie back to finances. With with those who are self identified as more in happier, higher quintiles versus unhappy, and to me, I've always been fascinated with that topic. The like, how much money you need to be happier? How what are these levels to get to when it comes to money and happiness? And maybe it's because my money story. And I was we were talking about this today with Mallory. Is that I lived in kind of in the middle of a of a huge, uh, almost like a financial barbell world where. Right next door was a bunch of Amish folks. My dad was a large general veterinarian. We lived next to Amish. It's like living in the 18th century. (laughs) They had virtually living without a whole lot of money at all. And then when you live in the country, you tend to live around these big horse farms that are like $50 million horse farms. Mm -hmm. And I think as a kid, I was kind of always, my head was on this back and forth. Like, wait a minute, you know, this guy, these guys, these people have really no money. And they they are, even if you gave them $10 million, they're still going to live with lanterns. And then you've got these, fancy horse farms and maybe that was part of my money story of trying to figure out why am i always studying this money happiness relationship Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe that's that's part of my money story plus my dad even though he was a good he was good good business guy and earned a lot of money he was very he is still he's alive and well and retired but very non-interested in the money Mm-hmm. really almost like grew up as a little bit of a hippie yeah and was is till this day he doesn't really even care how much he has he knows he has plenty yeah 
but he doesn't care about it, doesn't think about it, doesn't want to know what it's invested in. Mm. But he was always very excited about growing his practice, his his his, mm-hmm. his veterinary practice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason I'm very, uh, you know, again, I'm can't get away from the thought of what are we doing in our business? How are we growing it? Like maybe that, you know, the money story that you just talked about, I just, yeah. wrote, I just rehashed mine. Thank yeah. you for that. Therapy <laughs> I'm shed a tear after that. The, <laughs> all right. What do you need to, um, so how do we, you, you went through some really some money trauma. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty heavy story about growing up with that. Mm-hmm. It's a serious money story. What do though today, what should we be asking our parents about or what should you be teaching your kids at this point? And, and I guess my question, I go to adult parents. Mm-hmm. How much do, you, do we need to know about our own parents' finances? And do you ever talk about that? Do you ever write about that? And do you ever talk to your parents about money anymore? Yeah, so I have, yeah, I have written about talking to parents about money or talking and talking to your kids about money. And I do like, you know, working in finance, my dad passed away eight years ago. So I, I do sorry, not okay. talk about money yeah, with okay, him obviously anymore. Um, and he, but you know, he taught like at the end, he taught me a lot about, you know, good and bad ways to use your money. He was always like a live for the moment guy, sees mm-hmm. life. And, you know, he happened to have, you know, he got terminal illness and they gave him a short mm. lifespan, but he lived, outlived it by years. Cause I think he like his sense of like lived, like he like, you know, was like, I'm going to go have fun for a few years. And he moved to Europe and he had a great time. And I'm like, I think that's what helped him live longer is that wow. he, you know, wasn't. And, and he actually took an early retirement. So he, um, when he was diagnosed with terminal illness, he retired at 58. And so he was like, that's fine. I got enough money. No, I'm sorry. He was 55. He passed away at 58. So 54, 55, he's like, okay, I'm done. I got enough money saved. And he had three pretty good years left. He had, yeah, about four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I... I didn't really, I knew what he, you know, I knew what he had in his retirement accounts for the most part. Um, and I knew what he did, like his, you know, his, my mom talked about it a lot because my, because, she, you know, because we would talk about what was going on and, you know, not that I could help with anything, but, you know, I was a sense of kind of like, you know, sounding board for her growing mm-hmm. up. And to this day, we still, you know, like talk about money pretty openly. And I think mm-hmm. I'm really comfortable talking about money, like how much we make and, you know. I don't think my husband always loves that I'm like, ah, you know, Here's what I'm we sharing make. our life story on Business Insider, but right. um, no, he's actually really smart. <laughs> I should say that, but um, a lot of people aren't that comfortable. And I think to try to, you know, to try to start that conversation, mm-hmm. it could just be like, you know, I'm starting to think more about how I use, how I view money. Like, and I, and maybe if they, if they have kids themselves, they can be like, you know, I'm trying to think about how I want to teach, you know, junior about money my kids, and yeah. then asking that, you know, your parents or the grandparents, you know, the, the kid, like how, like, what did your parents teach you about money? Or like, what did they say about money? Cause like for my parents, it was like, money doesn't grow on trees. And that was something I heard all the time growing up. And, you know, so I think it's just being like starting that conversation and then being aware of like, Oh, like my parents said that or their parents said that and that influenced them and that's why they influenced me because everybody is just doing the best that they can, mm-hmm. right? With what they know and how they grew up. And I need to ask one more question. Yes. You've got t- your mom, you got two kids yep. and you've got tons of, I call these core pursuits, which are just hobbies on steroids, but you've got a lot of these in your life, I, I think, right? Or, I, yeah. or travel slash yoga. Like what are your yeah. big core pursuits? I mean, travel is 
is up there, I would say, as like mm. the number one pursuit. Um, we love taking our kids and traveling. It's been obviously a little bit harder in the last year or so, but mm-hmm. as much as we can, like we, they're great travelers. Like they've been a lot of places. Um, our goal is always like, we want to go internationally at least once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, like that's. Wait, like, why is that important? Do you think to you guys to, why is it important to you and your husband? I think it's just like the, like it's easy to get caught in a bubble, um, mm-hmm. of where you live, you know, whether it's your city or your state or the country you live in and. When you get out of your comfort zone and you go to different like different states, but also like different countries, I think it's just it opens your you know your mind up to like so many other possibilities. And mm-hmm. I feel like most at peace when I'm traveling. Like I love being immersed in other cultures and seeing how they do things. My grandma came to the U.S. as you know by herself when she was 18, mm-hmm. went to from Ireland to England at 16 by herself, and so she you know like I think a lot of that comes from her. Like she's very adventurous. Like. We're going to hopefully take her back to Ireland next year and she's 95 for her 95th birthday. And I think it's just like, it just, yeah, opens your mind and just expands like your worldview, I guess. Yeah, it makes I do. you more totally compassionate does. about what other people do and how they live their lives. And also like helps you examine your own and be like, oh, why do we do that in our culture, mm-hmm. in our you know country when we could be doing it? Uh, another way. You know, I've almost so. forgotten about travel. When it, when, it come, when it comes to outside of the U.S., I, yeah. I did it a lot. And I think I, I draw on those times. I, I lived in Spain for six months. I, yeah. I went to Europe a bunch as a kid for several. And it, it really is interesting, the, the memories of that and what it taught me. But because of having little kids, mm. making it a little harder to travel internationally, or at yeah. least it, the shock of having kids and then we had a bunch of them <laughs> and then and then you get to covid yeah and it's it's i we have been really it's been a long long time since i've been anywhere overseas so yeah, but yeah i think it's a good point thank you for reminding me of that because you really do it does open your worldview up yeah and it's easy to get caught in a in a in a bubble um so I like that reminder, by the way. I'm going to take that You're reminder welcome. to heart. All right, uh, Katie Elker, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Where do much. we find you? You can find me, uh, my website is just my name, Katie Elker. It's a silent O. So, so it's K- O-E-L. It is, yep. K-E-R. Yep, com. You can find me on Instagram, Katie Elker Media. Ooh, Katie Elker, on Insta. Okay. Those are the places that, you know, the most. Well, Katie, let's stay in touch. Thank you for stopping by. Pleasure. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.